Hey everybody, this is Jade and welcome to another episode of Jade Start Secrets Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to get super vulnerable with you and I'm going to share my whole story. I've never shared my whole story from start to finish with anybody before except for my husband. Uh, I've only shared bits and pieces with people and I keep getting told from the bits and pieces I do share that I should definitely record a podcast and share the whole story. So I have. I've recorded a video and I've taken the audio and I've made it into this uh, podcast series, which is going to be my complete story from start to finish. I hope you enjoy. So the big question is this. How do we have the freedom we crave so badly when we're stuck in jobs we don't like, leaving us unfulfilled, exhausted and trapped? What if I told you that you're already qualified enough to start building a life on your terms, the life of your dreams? That is the question and this podcast will show you how by giving you the answers. My name is Jade Weller and welcome to Jade Start Secrets Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jade. We've been talking a lot about origin stories lately inside the Launchpad course and with my one-on-one clients. And so every time I tell them little bits and snippets about my story, they all tell me you should totally record this and pop it on your YouTube and podcast. So I thought, all right, I'm going to dedicate some time. I'm going to tell you the whole story. This is not being told. Um, I've only told bits and pieces to people. I've never told the whole story. So I'm going to share it all with you in this video and get super vulnerable and let you know who I am and where I come from and why I am the way I am today uh, with my unique values and work ethic and, and drive and ability to connect and, and understand people. So to start with who I am and give you a bit of backstory and a bit of framing as to where it all began. Um, my parents split when I was about two. My, I actually, actually my dad got full custody of me. So he moved, um, like we lived up in Rockhampton at the time. He moved down to Ipswich and we lived with my grandparents for a little bit, but then we moved into this little country town called Kaminya. Uh, dad bought five acres there with my stepmom and we had lots of space, lots of room, uh, and it was going to be like a fresh start uh, for us kids to be able to settle in and grow up there. Uh, one day we were heading over to one of his friends' house. They had this um, house that was kind of up on a hill. So as you drive into the driveway, you'd go up the hill and then the house was on the top of the hill. And he parked the car and put the handbrake on. But the handbrake was one of those ones on the side. It had like the gear stick on the side and the handbrake was this thing that you pull. Um, Dad and I used to rebuild cars together. So I kind of knew don't touch anything because if you did... Um, I didn't know how to put it back together without dad's help. And so when he jumped out of the car, he looked at me and he said, Jay, don't touch anything. Don't let your sister touch anything. I'm going to be like two minutes. And he ran inside to go see his friend very quickly. But I think I was about six and my sister was about four. Uh, and she just was oblivious. She, she didn't really understand too much about cars or, or rebuild them or anything like that. So um, she thought it would, would be a great time to jump into the driver's seat and pretend she was driving. And I was trying to get her out of the driver's seat saying, no, Dad said, don't touch anything, don't touch anything. And she grabbed the side gear stick and she yanked it and it put it into neutral. And if we had been on a flat surface, it probably wouldn't have done anything. But because we were parked up on a hill, the car started to roll backwards down the hill. And I knew straight away we had to get out. I was like, come on, Nikita, we've got to get out. We've got to get out. So I held the door open and I was trying to get a coach her to come out, get out of the car, get out of the car. And by this stage, it was getting faster and faster and faster. And it was going downhill so quick. I could barely keep up with it. And I was screaming and dad came racing outside 
saw that the car was rolling downhill, sprinted down the driveway to get to the car. And it was at this point that my sister saw dad and then she wanted to get out of the car. I couldn't convince her before then because she was too scared. But as soon as she saw dad, she, she decided to try and get out. She pushed the car door open to get out. And as she pushed it, the car door swung back. And as she tried to get out, it swung back and hit her and it hit her and knocked her straight underneath the wheel. And the car wheel ran straight over her. Um, it was the scariest, scariest thing I think I've ever seen because we didn't know if she was going to survive. Dad sort of scooped her up, put her in the car and said to me, do not let her sleep. Don't let her sleep. And he yelled out to his mate and said, call an ambulance. We're going to meet them at the doctor's surgery. So the doctor's surgery was maybe like 25 minutes away and dad just went there as fast as he could. And he was trying to talk to her, you know, are you awake, Nikita, are you awake? And he said, don't let her sleep, don't let her sleep. And so I was trying to talk to her. I had her hair in my lap and I was trying to talk to her to keep her awake. Um, we didn't want to sit her up because we didn't know how bad the injuries were. We got to the nearest doctor's surgery and they had an ambulance there waiting for her and they, they scooped her up and they put her inside the ambulance and the ambulance just took off and dad was racing after them and we I stayed at the, the doctor's surgery and waited for um, my, my stepmom, my mum to come and get me and um, dad raced off after the ambulance and I remember he he was so worried that she wasn't going to make it because she was going in and out of consciousness and the ambulance stopped out the front of this house on the way to Ipswich and dad panicked because he knew that when an ambulance stops it's not good. And so they, what happened was she'd actually died in the back of the ambulance out the front of this house. And dad was so worried. He said a little prayer. He's like, if she can make it through this, I'll come. I'll become a Jehovah's Witness because dad grew up a Jehovah's Witness and he left the religion when he was quite young. And so the ambulance sort of, after he said that prayer, the ambulance sort of took off again. And dad's like, okay, okay, we're going. So he took off to the hospital and my sister was in hospital in intensive care for a few days and she survived. She came back, they got her back to life in the ambulance and she survived. So dad kept his promise and he became a Jehovah's Witness. And so from that moment onwards, um, we all became Jehovah's Witnesses. So I actually grew up a Jehovah's Witness with my father. We'd go to meetings, we'd go door knocking, we'd do the whole kit, the whole lot. <laughs> we didn't have birthdays, we didn't celebrate Christmas. Instead, my parents tried to make sure that we felt loved and, and appreciated and got gifts around other times of the year, like report cards and, and just for being good and, and just so that they knew that we knew that we were loved. And um, I think that moment was so significant from for dad that he actually threw himself all into it. And so practiced it quite heavily. And um, I would still go visit my mother on school holidays and she was the opposite. <laughs> Mum wasn't a Jehovah's Witness. She uh, was very much into spirituality and would practice white witchcraft and um, complete opposite to dad. And so from a very young age, I was exposed to these different kinds of polar opposite parenting styles, lifestyles. Um, it, it was just wildly different. And so I'd go and stay at dad's and it would be one way. We would go to church and we would um, do door knocking and we were, you know, very strict um, practicing Jehovah's Witnesses. And then we'd go to mum's and mum was the opposite, you know, that she would be like a normal parent, you know. Um, she would have parties and she would drink and um, she wouldn't go to church. And um, it was just very different. And so I think that's where I sort of became so um, aware of different people's body language, uh, personas, energies, um, all of that kind of stuff, which today makes it so much easier for me to read people in situations um, beyond words and what's actually going on. 
was because of the, the difference in the parenting and upbringing I had. And so um, the reason I share that with you is because um, being brought up a Jehovah's Witness was um, probably where a lot of my uh, values come from, um, my loyalty, all of that kind of stuff. But also it, it, was in, it ended up being one of the most painful experiences in my life because of um, something that happened when I was in my late teens, early 20s. So I, I had met my first boyfriend when I was um, 18. We started dating. He was also a Jehovah's Witness, although he wasn't baptized. I got baptized at about 16. Um, they don't believe in baptizing you when you're a baby. They baptize you when you make your own choice. And so I was about 16 years old, got baptized. I was about 17 when I started to get interested in boys. I was about 18 when I had my first boyfriend. Um, I thought that we were super serious. We were going to get married. We'd been ring shopping. Um, I fell head over heels in love. Well, at least I thought I was in love. Um, and so I committed to him fully. We ended up having an intimate relationship, which was completely against the rules. Um, the church found out about it. The, the religion found out about it. And I had to go in for a meeting with the elders. And as a result, I was disfellowshipped because I broke the rules. Now, when you get disfellowshipped, you're completely outcast. So friends, family, nobody inside the religion is allowed to talk to you. You kind of lose your whole support network. So I went from having friends and family that I could go talk, call and visit and go see um, to having no one around me except for the people that I worked with. Uh, and I lived in Brisbane on my own at this time. But I thought, you know what, it's okay. I've still got my boyfriend, um, we'll make it through together, we're going to get married. But shortly after, I was really shocked and awoken when I found out that he was actually cheating on me for six months behind my back, and I had no idea. It was Our friends all knew, in fact, they would hang out with him and his other girlfriend, and sometimes he would bring her over to my house, and I had no idea any of this was going on, um, because I was always at work, or I was going visiting my family, or something like that. Um, so that ended in a massive heap as well. And so he, we, we had a bit of debt together. We bought a car and a jet ski together. So he took the assets and, and paid it off for a little bit, but I ended up paying it all off and, and didn't even get, like, it was just a messy, messy situation. Um, I think for me, that wasn't the hardest part because I mean, that hurt a lot and losing everyone and everything around you hurts, but I knew I could rebuild from that. So I started to just make friends with people at work. I started to just use my charismatic nature to get to know people. And I ended up, I was out one night and I ended up meeting this guy that I knew from inside the religion um, out in the city one night. And he ended up being in the same boat as me. He was also disfellowshipped. Um, we ended up hanging out for a little bit. Uh, we started to like each other. So we started to date. He lived in Gladstone. I lived in Brisbane. Um, and we dated for about a year. And then we realized that it was just quite lonely not having our family and friends around. So we decided that we would try and get what's called reinstated, which means you try and show that you're sorry for the sins that you've committed and you try and get back into the religion. So to do this, we both had to not see each other in person because we didn't want to be accused of doing anything that was breaking the rules. So I stayed in Brisbane, he stayed in Gladstone. We would only talk on the phone. Um, we both went to church every week. We did everything we were supposed to do. And then within a two-week window, we both had our meetings with the elders. I think this was after uh, maybe six months or so of doing what we were doing, uh, which was trying to prove ourselves. He went for his meeting with 
his elders and they accepted his repentance and let him back in. I went for my meeting with my elders and they said to me that they weren't convinced I had been, that I was repentive and had turned my life around because I still had a boyfriend, even though he was in Gladstone. So I think that was the moment that hurt me the most out of everything that happened because that moment was the moment I felt so judged. I felt as if I was a bad person. I felt as if they thought I wasn't good enough for what I just didn't understand. Like I was doing everything right. How can two people who are doing the same thing, one be judged as being a good person and one be judged as being a bad person? I just, it went against every grain inside of me. And I, I yeah, I really struggled with that. Um, and as a result of that, I've developed a fear of judgment. So um, I think that's why I get a little bit nervous in front of the camera or on stage or anything like that because I'm really worried about people judging me and it's all come from that moment. So I really struggled to deal with it for a few weeks after, a few months after I kind of rebelled. I'm like, no, that's it. I, I'm, I can't be a part of something that judges you even though you are a good person, you are doing everything right. And so I had to break up with my boyfriend at the time because he got in and I didn't, which meant technically he wasn't allowed to talk to me anymore. Um, and he was a beautiful person, which was really hard to do. And so we kind of just separated and went our separate ways. And um, I just didn't understand why all of this was happening to me. At the time, I went out drinking and partying and um, I even had my tongue pierced <laughs> at one stage. Um, I never got any tattoos though, <laughs> but I just was really rebelling from the fact that, well, you know, if I was a good person and you were judging me as a bad person, then fine, I'll do everything I'm not supposed to do because what the hell, I'm a bad person anyway. Um, and so it, it was a couple of months that I went through that. And then I realized that I don't need to be judged by these people. I don't need them to tell me whether I'm good enough to be me or not. I just need to be me. And so I developed a lot of emotional intelligence during that period of time. Uh, I went to some counseling and um, as a result, I was able to heal. Um, I healed from the hurt that my ex-boyfriend had done to me. I healed from the hurt that the religion had done to me and I forgave everybody. Uh, and I just realized that I just needed to get on with life. Um, I took out three jobs. I had three jobs at the time. I was working full-time at Woolies, managing the different departments. I was working part-time at Coles in the meat department. And I was working, I remember at the time, I was working in the butcher section at Woolies, managing that. I had this big gaping hole in my front tooth here. The worst Australian accent you can imagine. Uh, definitely didn't sound like I do now. <laughs> and um, I was, it was one night that I was didn't have to work the next day. And I had a flatmate and she was a bit older. She was in her 50s. She was a bit older than me. And she said, why don't you come out to dinner? Um, and I thought, they were coming down to the Gold Coast. And I thought, well, I don't have to work, I suppose, the next day. Sure, why not? I didn't have anything on. So I said, okay, I'll come down to the Gold Coast with you. And it was actually the night I met Aaron. Do you guys want me to share how I, the story of how I met Aaron, but share it with Aaron? In tomorrow's video, I'm going to share the story about how Aaron and I met, and it's actually a really funny story, so I can't wait to share it with you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. If you found value in this podcast, please let me know by leaving a review. It takes 30 seconds and tells me that you're loving receiving the content from me. 
It takes time to think of, record and edit these podcasts and I do it to help you on your journey. So please let me know what you think. If you're ready to launch a business, I have a brand new course which will give you the coaching I've been doing with my one-on-one clients for the past four years inside of a group coaching platform without the expensive price tag of the one-on-one coaching and it's delivered online with weekly check-ins so even the busiest person like me can manage the course load. I work a full-time job, am studying at uni and running my own successful consulting business so everything I create for you as my client is tested to make sure it can be achieved with the busiest lifestyle. I've priced the course so it's cheaper than a couple of Uber Eat meals a week and you will get me as your business coach taking you through the entire process to launch your business successfully with the proper foundations for growth. So if you're ready to take the next step to break your mold and achieve the lifestyle you deserve, click on the link in the show notes and sign up for the Launchpad course. If you haven't got a business idea yet, I offer a seven-day business idea challenge, which will help you find your purpose or why in life and match it with any number of epic business ideas. You do this challenge with a group of people so you can bounce ideas around and learn from everybody's insights. The challenge has been a huge success. So if you're ready to find your purpose or an epic business idea and learn how to validate it before launching it, sign up for the challenge and join our next intake. I appreciate you all for listening and I hope you have an amazing day wherever you're listening in the world.